Hello, everyone. I am Terry Brooks Allen. My company is T. Brooks Allen Consulting, and I'm based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. I am very excited to be here today. I think my happy meter is probably off the chart right now. So I really appreciate and thank you for joining this webinar today. I am also grateful. I'm grateful to be in the right place at the right time. 13 years ago, I met Phil Duvall here in Indianapolis as he was working on a Bridges Out of Poverty web, uh, workshop. And at the time, we had a, a side conversation, and I was telling him I was interested um, in having my own business someday and being able to teach business, social, and dining etiquette to professionals. And immediately, he saw a connection between business etiquette, and the hidden rules of class. So we talked about that for a little bit, and he said, when you get started, give me a call. So 13 years later, I got started, and I did give him, shoot him a few emails. We had a few phone calls, and then we were able, he was able to bring Ruth into the, Ruth Warwick into the conversation. And so here I am, June 21st, and uh, sharing the AHA platform and presenting to you today generally on business, social, and dining etiquette. Growing up, I had a interest in, or I was impressed with formality, with style, and with decorum. And my maternal grandparents, Elise and, and Ralph McDougall, were very popular caterers in our community. And every so often, they would host a, gr a group of women in their home uh, who belonged to a group called the Susie Scales Floral Club. And that was a big event. That was a big event for the ladies who were part of that group. And it was a big, big event for those in the household. So everything had to be on point for that meeting. Every sandwich had to be, every finger sandwich had to be cut a particular way. It had to be placed on the platter a certain way. And I remember the cherries. The cherries still had the stem on them. And they had to sit perfectly on top of the cottage cheese which sat on a juicy half pear, and that was laid on a bed of bright green crispy lettuce with a side of homemade chicken salad. And all of that was served on fine china. So that event, again, was a big deal to the ladies and a big deal to those who were being a part of it in the family. So from there, we would wait for the ladies to arrive, and that was always exciting to see the ladies come in, and they would be dressed in their Sunday best, um, suits, dresses, hats, snow white gloves. So we were always happy to see them come in, and we were just as happy to see them go out because we knew that at that time, 
it was our turn. So my grandmother and grandfather would have us in and they would host us and treat us and serve us just like they served the guests um, who belonged to the actual meeting. So that was my first experience of formality, of style, and, and just having a sense of decorum that was related to my family and to my neighborhood, my community. Years later, as a student at North Carolina A&T, I was very active in the student member section in our department. And my junior year, I was selected to run for a national office in the student member section. And so I flew to Kansas City campaign. I won the election, so I was second vice president. So the following morning, I was invited to a formal breakfast. Arrived at the breakfast, took my seat at the table, no one else was present, and I started to serve myself my breakfast. So a few minutes later, a professional came in and sat down beside me, and I greeted her, and I noticed that she paused for a second, and I kind of thought, hmm, what is that about? And so then she leaned over and said, young man, would you please pass me the bread plate to your left? And I immediately flushed with sweat because I knew if she was asking me for that bread plate, I was eating off of her bread plate. So luckily, she was very graceful. She didn't make a big deal out of it. And I was grateful in the end because if she had not known what a formal place setting looked like, I would have thrown off the whole table because my mistake would have made everyone else come in and they would have pulled the bread plate from their right instead of pulling the bread plate from their left. So that process started a self-study with me because I knew that um, being a national officer, that I would get a lot of opportunities to go to formal events. And I didn't want to be caught off guard again um, with um, making the wrong move at the formal, with the formal place setting. So that started my self-study. And once people found out I had a little bit of knowledge around etiquette. I was asked to come in and do workshops and presentations for different community groups and for different academies around the city. And now I basically present uh, business, social, and dining etiquette to corporations and to colleges and universities. So why etiquette? As technology continues to advance, we find ourselves moving towards a high-tech, low-touch society. And if we use etiquette, or I like to encourage people to use etiquette as a glide path to help build and maintain those business relationships and make sure that they're authentic relationships, that we get to build those with our customers, with our employees, and with the public. And etiquette also is an opportunity for professionals across the board to share a specific set of core behaviors. 
What I will do now is go through a few of the tips and takeaways. We're going to start with hosting. If you're hosting an event, and it could be just a dinner for one person or a lunch with one person, your responsibility is to be in control of that moment. So we're going to do a few statements and look at a few tips and takeaways that will help you to maximize that moment. Etiquette tips and takeaways. One of the things that I definitely do first is to make sure that I host any event at my favorite venue or my favorite restaurant. And what that does, it basically gives you the power to, to be in control of that moment. You know the layout of the restaurant, you know the manager, you probably know one of the servers there. So it gives you an opportunity to feel like you're in charge of that moment. I always try to find one person who would be in charge of my meeting so that every, every piece of information, anything that I have to drop off, everything is assigned to that one person. So if there are issues or if there are questions before I get there or even during the event or during the meeting, I know that one person will take care of whatever needs I have. One of the things you also want to be mindful of is to make sure they, your guest, understand which venue you are hosting your event. Just recently, I ran into an issue where I invited someone to lunch and his schedule said, well, he told me that he was going to be downtown. So I said, great, we'll meet at a restaurant downtown. Well, he didn't know that there was one on the north side. So he, would, no, he knew there was one on the north side. He didn't catch that there was one downtown. So in the process, there was a lot of confusion with the location of the venue. So definitely make sure that they understand what the location is and don't take it for granted that they know every location because you know every location which I did and assumed that if his meeting was downtown, that he would show up downtown. The next one would be plan ahead. When you plan ahead, you're able to have to be privy to special accommodations. You can ask for specific seating or the best seating. You can find out who the most efficient server is and have that person assigned to you. You can also be aware of any special events. If you're hosting an intimate dinner where you may be uh, meeting to discuss a really big deal, and let's say that you're planning to have that event on Thursday night, you didn't plan ahead, you just show up to start that meeting, and then that's live band night or that's live music night. So you definitely want to plan ahead so that you can work around um, definitely that issue. Make sure there's adequate parking. I remember I hosted um, an event one time and someone was towed. Who I, One of my guests was towed during the event. So I did not feel good about that. Um, so definitely make sure there's adequate parking and make sure that it's handicap accessible. That normally isn't a big deal if you're hosting one person or two people, 
um, as far as the place being accessible. But if you're hosting a group, I'm sure you don't know if everyone in there um, is able-bodied and able to, to, to access the facility. Study the menu. Not that you should memorize the menu, but if that is one of your favorite venues and you've hosted people there before, you should be able to give information about certain dishes that you've ordered or maybe certain dishes that your guests have ordered if your client has questions about the menu. Make sure the menu has a variety of foods on it. This is not the time to try out the new sushi bar that you've been eyeing down the street and been hearing a lot of talk about. Again, you want to make sure that you are in control, that you're able to manage that moment. When do I start talking business? I normally recommend that you welcome your guest and you spend time connecting with your guest. And that is probably even easier to do today because there's so much information on the web about every business, every person who works at the business. So you're able to find out what that person is driven by, uh, eight um, organizations that they may belong to. So you're able to have that connecting conversation based on the research that you've done on that client. As you talk about, um, talk during your connection, and you're moving into dinner, then you'll sort of know what that vibe is as far as merging into the actual reason why you've invited them to dinner. Make payment arrangements in advance. This is a luxury and something I really, really love. Once you're at the end of your meeting, and the check shows up, that can be sort of a tense moment because sometimes your guest is sitting there thinking, well, should I offer to chip in and pay some of the, some of the bill or should I offer to um, pay the tip? And they should not do either one because you have invited them to that moment and you should be responsible for the payment. So if you're able to, if it's a breakfast or a lunch, normally I would work with the server to let them know, do not bring the check to the table. I will settle with you in the afternoon. Or if, if it's an evening visit or an evening meeting, I would make arrangements to settle with them the following morning. And again, if it's a place that you frequent, that should not be an issue. How long do I have? Breakfast and lunch, 60 to 90 minutes. Dinner, anywhere from two to three hours. Fashionably late. That is not good on any level. Being fashionably late says that my life and my work is so busy that I don't have time to get to your event on time. So no one is that busy. Everyone has the same amount of time and everyone can budget their time to get where they need to be. Another thing about being late, it sends the message of your time is not as important as mine. 
I'm more important to you than you, so I'll show up at your event when I get there. So it just doesn't leave a good impression at all if you're showing up late. If you're hosting the event, I definitely recommend 15, 10 to 15 minutes before, just in case there may be some issues with the venue. They can bring you in. They can give you an update on any changes that may need to occur. If you are the guest, I would say at least be in the parking lot five minutes before time and that you're entering the restaurant door at two o'clock or you're waiting to be introduced to the host at two o'clock, that you're not coming in at 2.05 and definitely not at 2.10. If you are running late, I would recommend shooting a text to the host or making a phone call to let them know what your estimated arrival time is. And last, have fun. And this is something I have to keep reminding myself of because I can get so bogged down in the A, B, C's, and D's of the process that I forget to relax and have fun and not take all of the baggage to the table of they're not going to like my presentation, they're not going to be interested in it, and you build up all of this negative energy around that moment, and there's no way for any positive, any good things to happen in that. So definitely learn to relax. Definitely have fun with any event that you plan or anyone that you're hosting. The formal place setting, we're going to come back to this, but I just wanted you to take a look at it before we start looking at two of our teachers for today. So, everyone, I would like to introduce you to Asset and Liability. Asset was raised in a middle-class family, very familiar with dining etiquette, and it was practiced on a daily basis in his home. Liability was also raised in a middle-class family, but is not as confident when it comes to table etiquette. They greet each other outside of the restaurant. Inside the restaurant, they grab the chairs with the back with their right hand and seat themselves on the left side of the chair. Immediately, liability has an issue with the napkin fold. He flings the napkin in the air, trying to release the fold, and places a crumbled napkin on his thigh. Asset removes the napkin from his charger places it at the height of the table, and releases the fold of the napkin. He refolds the napkin in half and places it on his lap. Liability is sweating already, thinking, why do I have so many utensils? Asset is calm and confident and moves forward to add lemon to his water. He secures the wedge with his thumb and his index finger and covers the water goblet with his left hand to prevent the wedge from flying across the room and to prevent from squirting other guests. And he places the wedge on his charger. Liability didn't bother. He just put the wedge on the linen. 
Asset reaches for his dinner roll, and so does liability. Liability loves butter. He lays it on thick. So much butter that asset, it catches asset's attention. And asset is wondering, what is this guy doing with that roll? Liability takes a great big bite and has butter all over his lips. And instead of using his napkin, he uses his fingers to remove the butter from his lips. Asset breaks a small piece of the roll, uses his knife to apply a small amount of butter, and consumes the bread. Asset is startled as the server approaches him from his left side to serve his first course. He looks and thinks, oh no, cherry tomatoes again. In the last interview luncheon, the cherry tomatoes flew across the floor when, when liability tried to cut them. Asset began to prepare his salad with a small amount of dressing, keeping it neat and manageable. Liability likes dressing, so he adds a substantial amount of dressing, making it more difficult to eat. The cherry tomatoes did not present an issue for liability. He knew that there was a technique that would prevent the tomato from flying across the room. He placed the width of the knife blade on top of the tomato to secure it. He pierced the tomato with the tines of his fork and cut slightly behind the tines. Liability didn't take any chances. He was not in the mood for flying tomatoes today. Next, the main course is served. What is this on a stick? I have never seen this before. Liability is thinking it looks like corn on the cob, so I will eat it like corn on the cob, and he takes a great big bite. Asset was shot. Asset is familiar with eating food from a skewer. He secured the skewer with the tines of his fork and used a knife to remove a small portion of the vegetables to consume them. Liability was already sawing at his meat. The middle of the knife was the handle of the knife was placed in the palm of his hand and his forefingers were placed on the handle of the fork. With elbows in the air, he was hacking away at the small portion of meat. Asset knew the correct finger placement when cutting food. He chose to use the American style of cutting as opposed to the continental style of cutting. He pierced the meat with the tines of his fork and cut slightly behind the tines. He places his knife at the top of his charger or dinner plate, switches from his left hand to his right hand, 
pierces the meat and conveys the meat to consume the piece of meat. Liability quickly had a flashback. He remembered, oh, I do know how to do the continental style of cutting. After placing his fingers in the proper, posi proper position, he pierced the meat with the tines of his fork facing downward and cut slightly behind the fork. In the continental style, liability would have the tines continue to face down and convey the food to his mouth. Asset knew and was very conscious that it was proper to only cut a few pieces of meat at a time, knowing that it would leave his plate looking presentable. On the other hand, cutting several pieces of meat at one time could leave your plate looking a little messy. Now it was time for dessert. Asset reaches for his fork and liability reaches for his food, for his spoon. Liability was finally relaxed to know what the utensils at the top of the place setting were for. They were for dessert. I've never seen this before. Asset removes his napkin from his lap folds it in half, and places it on the table. Liability does the same. He removes the, the waddled napkin from his lap and places it on the table as well. The interview luncheon is over. They exchange goodbyes and go their separate ways. How many of you would hire liability after that experience? He definitely did not know all of the rules of etiquette, but he was able to chime in on some of those. So when we are entertaining, we definitely want to make sure that we are on top of our dining skills when we are inviting other people out to enjoy a formal experience or even a casual experience. We want to make sure that we are on point with what, um, with the message that we're sending. So now I want to go back to the place setting and go over the parts of the place setting. So I'm going to start at the top left uh, where we have the salad plate. And the salad plate will, the bread plate will always be at, at your top left or your bottom left. I've been to some restaurants where the tables are square and they will place the bread plate uh, bottom left instead of top left. Under the bread plate, we have the salad fork is first, followed by the dinner fork. And everyone knows that the salad fork is usually smaller, is smaller, than the dinner fork. Sometimes they can be the same size and you'll see them sort of staggered to give the impression that the salad fork is smaller than the dinner fork. The only time you would see this reversed is, I think in the French culture, they will have the salad after an entree. So the salad will cleanse your palate and get you ready for dessert or whatever the next entree is but normally you will see the salad fork and the dinner fork. 
Next, the gray piece that has a little decorative trim, this is called a charger or a service plate. And some restaurants have those in place in the place setting as you arrive. And one time I saw a person give the server their order and they handed them the service plate. And that should not happen. Leave the service plate in place and your courses will be placed on that plate. The dinner plate is placed on this service plate just for show, just for a photo. And this is your linen napkin. And that should be the first thing you do once you sit down. Follow your host, of course, but if your host takes forever to remove their napkin, they probably don't know that that's the first thing that they should do after they take their seat is to place that napkin in your lap. Beside the charger or the service plate is the dinner knife. And the dinner knife is the blade is always facing the plate. And in some settings, you can have a dinner knife as well as a bread and butter knife on this beside it. But this one, I'm just showing one dinner knife. And beside it is the spoon. And basically, this is a beverage spoon because there isn't a soup course that's going to be served. So it would be to stir your coffee or your tea. And once you've used that spoon, you want to place it on the saucer, not back on the linen. You never want to place any used utensils on the linen. So place it on the saucer, never leave it in the cup, and definitely don't sip from the cup with the spoon hanging out. Above the cup and saucer is your wine glass. The next glass is your water goblet, and you can see that bowl is longer, uh, very extended compared to the wine glass. And, and ahead of that, we have the spoon and the fork, and these two pieces are always placed at the top of the place setting for dessert. And I've seen people grab those for salad, but they're placed at the front for dessert. Why do you have both? Because some restaurants will place both utensils there because they're not sure what kind of dessert you're going to order. So if you have cake or pie, then you would grab the fork. If you're going to have a pudding or a creme brulee, then you would use the spoon. Once your entrees are cleared and you're waiting for desserts, some servers will come and move your dessert utensils to the side. So the fork would go where the forks are and the spoon would drag down to where the spoon is. And then you would be served your dessert. How do we hold our utensils? And this is a piece that I wanted to have a little bit more interaction on. So I uploaded uh, this photo to show that the eating utensils are not held in the palm of your hand like a shovel or like a pitchfork. They are basically held just like you would hold a pencil or a pen. So with the dinner fork, which is your longer fork, and some people have smaller hands, larger hands, 
you decide where you are able to place that fork, your hand on the fork, so that you have the best control of that fork. But this is the correct position for holding the fork and the spoon. Cutting position. As I said earlier, we have two cutting positions. One is the American style or the zigzag style. The second is the continental style. Both of them start off in what I call first position. First position is your index finger runs along the handle of the fork, and the handle of the fork will probably reach the knuckle of your index finger. And that's basically how you have control of the fork. The knife, your index finger should run along the handle or the length of the knife, again, basically stopping very close to your knuckle. And again, that gives you control of that utensil. If you're eating the continental style, I'm going to come back on and see if I can demonstrate that for you. The, the American style. In the American style, again, your fork should run along the length of your index finger and should end very close to your knuckle there. And you want to wrap your fingers around it again to get control. The closer your finger, your index finger is to the neck of the fork, the more control you'll have. And again, your index finger will run the length of the knife with the end resting in the palm of your hand and going along the knuckle of that finger. Okay, so we're going to start in first position and that's basically times down. So in the, we'll start with the American style. In the American style, we would pierce the meat. We would cut just behind the tines. We don't want to cut under the fork. We want to cut behind the tines. Place the knife on the corner of the plate, at the top of the plate, and the blade should be facing you. In the American style, it's called the zigzag because you take your fork from your left hand to your right hand, pierce the meat again, and then consume the meat. So again, for the American style, first position, pierce the meat, cut the meat, Place the knife at the top of your plate with the blade facing you. Switch hands, pierce the meat, and consume the meat. That is the American style. The style that liability demonstrated in the video is called the continental or the European style. And it's a lot shorter than the American style. And a lot of international travelers will typically eat continental style. So same position, first position, pierce the meat, cut behind the tines, and the food goes directly to the mouth. So there's no piercing, re-piercing, and there's no switching. It's strictly pierce, cut, and consume. Pierce, cut, and consume. You will see some people who have perfected this cutting style. They will cut and then they will move over and add a little bit of vegetables 
a little bit of mashed potatoes, and then consume. So if you try that technique, definitely try it at home first because it is a little tricky getting the extra pieces on the tines if your meat does not move up properly like it should. So try it at home before you try it out in public, and you don't want to crowd a bunch of food on your tines, okay? You still want to keep it neat and presentable as you consume. So again, continental style is first position, cut, and consume. And so the entire time, you're holding your knife in your hand, whereas in the American style, you're placing the knife at the top of your plate with the blade facing towards you, you're piercing the food again, and then you are conveying the food or, or eating the food. One of the other things I wanted to, to demonstrate again was the proper way to hold your fork. And as I said earlier, according to the length or the size of your hand, really, that will gauge where you have more control over the fork. And any time that you are handling utensils in public, you always want to grab the utensil at, at what we call the neck of the utensil. You want to grab it here. You don't want to grab it in this area because it will leave your fingerprints. And you don't want to grab it close to the times because, again, that's where the person will be eating um, from. So you always want to grab any utensil by what we call the neck of the utensil. And the same thing for the spoon. One of the other things I want to share with you is this is another example of the improper way of holding the knife and holding the fork. And this is what I see in public a lot. Um, people using all four fingers on the back of the handle of the fork and holding the knife like an ax or a shovel. I see that in public a lot. And I recently saw it, uh, a teenager was out with his parents and they didn't correct him at all. And I mean, he was stabbing the meat with his fork like a pitchfork and just sawing away at the meat. And they didn't say anything. So I thought, wow, that's interesting. But you definitely want to make sure that you have your fingers in first position when you're using either cutting technique. Next, we're going to look at two what they call secret codes of serving. So if you're in the middle of your dinner or your lunch, and you need to be excused from the table, you need to leave your utensils in resting position. Or if you're just in conversation and you're gonna take a break from eating for a minute or two, you can place your, your utensils in resting position. So as you notice, the tines are turned down towards the plate and the blade of the knife is, is facing the fork. So when a server sees your utensils placed in this direction, they understand that they're not to touch your plate, that you're basically resting and you will finish your meal. The next hidden code or secret code is the finished position. And as you can see, the tines are turned down on the fork 
and the blade of the knife is facing the fork, and you have it at 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock position. So when a server sees this, she knows or he knows that, excuse me, that you have finished with that particular course. Now let's look at some faux pas, some dining faux pas. One of the ones that you hear or that you see a lot is how do I get the server's attention? You do not want to snap your finger at a server, nor do you want to yell at a server. If your server is not in, in your area and you see other servers in your area, they will be glad to get your server to come to your table. So if you can catch their attention by eye contact or maybe just a very slight uh, leaning forward uh, as if you're going to address them as they walk by, they're conscious of those things. That's their job to kind of read your body language. So definitely use your body language and definitely not snapping your finger and no way would you yell to get a server's attention. Another faux pas is placing the napkin in your collar. I haven't seen it in a while as far as just being out and dining, but I know people still do it. And unless you're eating lobster or eating some sort of a crab or something, you should not have your napkin looking like a bib with a shirt, a suit, and a tie on. And I've seen this before where guys will throw their neckwear over their shoulder to keep from getting food on their tie. And I wonder how old are they? Bodies on the table. Leaning on the table definitely is not, not allowed. Elbows should definitely not be on the table and definitely not your forearm, your hand, and basically your chest. Utensils. As you're sitting, maybe waiting to be served, the utensils are not to be used as props to get your point across. They are there to be a part of the dining experience, and again, they're not props. One of the last things, blowing your nose at the dinner table. That is definitely not allowed anywhere, anytime. If you need to blow your nose, please remove yourself from the table, go to the restroom, and take care of business. I have seen people at um, like weddings and, um, and, and organizational type dinners that they think nothing of blowing their nose in the linen napkin, and that's definitely not allowed. And there's another example of, um, this is sort of an example too, if you look at liability's plate, he has a little bit more of a, of a, of a, a larger cross or an X, and that basically sends the same message not to remove that plate because he isn't finished with it. So the last thing I wanted to share with you was um, how to order wine or how to uh, have the wine experience during a, during a formal dinner or a formal lunch. And this is a technique, this is a process where I hear that several from several people that I network with 
they're talking about people not being as suave and as classy when it comes to wine. So one guy was telling me that he normally spends about $100 a bottle on wine when he's entertaining guests for business. But he's noticed that over the years that the guests are consuming the wine like it's Kool-Aid or like it's water. And so as we go through this process, I definitely want you to be mindful that wine is meant to be sipped and savored. So let's say that you are going to order wine for your event. The server will come to your table with the wine list. Feel free to ask the server, what would you recommend? And typically they'll give you a high dollar wine recommendation and then they'll give you a low dollar wine recommendation. And I would pick in the middle of that. So once you choose your wine, the server will go and return with your bottle. And with two hands, they will present that bottle of wine to you to, for you to nod and say, yes, that's what I ordered. So once you say, yes, that's what I ordered, they will pour a sample in your wine glass. Once that sample is poured, they will step back and allow you to do the four S's. And some people teach that there are three S's. I think there may even be five, but we're going to talk about four today. So the first S that you will do once you have your sample in your glass, and this is for the guests. When you see them pour that sample into that glass, it's going to be a very small amount. Please don't speak up and say, oh, is that all you get? Because that's kind of a giveaway that you don't know what this experience is about. So make sure you're silent during the sampling process. So the small sample is in the wine glass, and the host may hold that up to the light and do a process what that they call sighting the wine or seeing the wine. And that allows them to see how clear the wine is. The next process would be to swirl the wine. And here you can see that she's swirling the wine. And what swirling does is that it opens up the bouquet so that you're able to smell what the wine is made of. If it's a white wine, you will probably smell more citrus type um, fruits coming out of that, out of the bowl. And if it's a red wine, you will probably notice more berries. So once you swirl it, and be careful with swirling it, but once you swirl it, that's what is opening up, is your opportunity to smell um, the ingredients of the wine. After the swirling, you will smell the wine. And again, that will be when you will start picking out the type of citrus that you smell after you swirl it or the type of berries that you smell. So that's always very interesting to me uh, at a wine tasting because you can have, again, the same wine and then people will come up with all these different things of what they smell um, from, their, from their wine glass. 
So that's always interesting. And the last piece, you will sip the wine. And once you sip the wine, place your glass back on the table and nod yes to the server. Then the server will go to the person to your right and she will fill their wine glass. And then she would work her way around the table or work his way around the table and come back to you and fill your glass last. So that is the wine serving process. And again, it is something that is very meticulous in a sense, but don't shy away from that experience um, if that's what you want to do to host your guest. So that is the end of my presentation. So Ruth, are we ready for questions? Yes, thank you. Thank you. I, that information is extremely helpful to all of us, especially as we work uh, across economic class lines and with our bridges and funders and, uh, and our getting ahead graduates. So we have a few minutes. Does anybody have any question that they would like to type in the chat for Terry? <laughs> what do you do if the wine is bitter? If the wine is bitter, that is definitely a sign that um, the wine is probably aged, that it's an older wine. So you definitely want to let the server know, and they don't have a problem taking the bottle back and replacing that. So you definitely don't want to keep it because you don't want to serve it to your guests. So yes, if the wine is old or if it has a bitter taste, then sometimes there may even, um, their cork may be in the wine. So for any of those reasons, just let the server know, and then they can uh, give you another wine selection. So what uh, when you are having dinner or, or sat lunch and the salad is already on the table, mm -hmm. what is the process for that? Do you wait for an invocation? Do you wait for what again? Invocation. Yes, you can. There will be a, um, normally, if there's an agenda, you will look at the agenda and it will normally outline when the dinner starts. Um, so if it's not outlined there, I would just wait for the event to start before I started consuming anything that was placed in front of me. And who does take the first bite? If you're at a, if you're at a, like a big organizational type event and there isn't a one person in charge, then you base one person in charge at that table. You can wait for the majority of the table um, to be filled before you start eating. And typically that gives everyone a chance to admire the place setting or the table decorations itself. So, um, but if you're invited to an event and there is a host or a hostess, you definitely want to wait for them to start or they may give you the go ahead to start dining before they do. Okay, we'll take two more questions. Did you say that the holding position for the fork initially mm -hmm. is the same as holding a pencil? It is, yes. You can grip it pretty much the same way. And again, the fork that I have, it has a very high um, end on it. 
So your finger position may vary a little bit just to be able to secure the fork and to be able to manage it, to manipulate it. But typically, you should hold the fork as you hold a pencil or a pen. And definitely not in the palm of your hand. Definitely not this. Okay. If uh, your utensil falls on the floor, what do you do? Leave it there. Leave it there. Do not crawl under the table to get a utensil. That could be very damaging to your deal. So if a utensil falls on the floor, definitely leave it on the floor. And again, get your server's attention. And normally when you're at a very fine dining type restaurant, your server may not be at your table, but they will be connected to your table. They will be watching your table to make sure that they're meeting every need that you have. And that's why, again, I like going to restaurants where I have a relationship and the server knows um, what my style is, what my process is, so that as I'm dining or as I'm entertaining, they're not constantly coming to the table interrupting or, or asking questions. They sort of know what my process is so therefore, um, you know, they're just showing up periodically, but the server will pretty much always have their focus on your table. And one last question. Should men stand when a woman or anyone new comes to the table? That is a changing rule. In the workforce today, Men and women are said to be seen as equals. So therefore, we're seeing and reading that you're not holding the door for the lady or you're not pulling out the chair for the lady. So in a workplace setting, I would not do that. But in a social setting, I would do it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, as you know, we do webinars every other week. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central, and if you want uh, more information, if you would like Terry to talk to your group, there are a few questions that are lingering, but we could go on and on about questions around etiquette. Yes. So if, if you would love Terry to work with your uh community, your organization, your Getting Ahead graduates, you can make contact with Terry or through me. And so uh, see us next time, and we really appreciate all of your time and joining us and the work that you do in your communities to stabilize individuals. So have a wonderful day, and thank you, thank you, Terry, for this uh, interesting information. You're Thanks, welcome. everyone. Thank you.